Morning. How are you guys doing? So I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, if you look at that baptism picture, there's a couple of people that are actually in this room that got baptized that are in that picture. So they're, they're part of the celebrity status this morning. So make sure to greet them especially well today. Um, before we get going today, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Cheryl, Pastor Cheryl, and thank her for the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if you guys know it, but that was her first time of doing two weeks in a row. So that's her first official uh, mini-series that she has done, and I thought she did great, didn't she? I thought it was a great word for Christ Church uh, during this season, and so we want to thank her for that. Um, speaking of seasons, I don't know if you guys know it, but in a couple of weeks, spring officially kicks off. In the past couple of days, you would not have known that. You know, um, Carrie and I uh, have lived in Rhode Island for about four years now. And uh, for the first couple of years, we didn't understand why so many people, if they had the opportunity, would flee the state for at least a week, come about the middle part of February. But we get it now. We get it. Because um, spring does not come near soon enough, and uh, you do it for your sanity. So we're with you. Uh, we appreciate being able to take a, just take a break and to get away. And uh, my wife especially, she came back very rested. In fact, you're lucky to have us back. Um, she was thinking... Once we got done with the first week, she was like, let's sign up for another week. And, uh, but it's, it's good to be back. You know, in literature, uh, winter is seen as death, and spring is seen as that new life. And if you think about it, it's kind of a weird metaphor, because there aren't that many things in this world that you see die, and then they come back to life again. Uh, there aren't many things at all. A lot of times we'll say, like, my lawnmower died, but all that means is I need a tune-up, or I need some, I need some more gas, uh, we might say that a comic died when he tried to get the room going because he didn't get anybody to laugh, but the truth is, is that all he needs is a different room of people. The reality is, is that death is a lot more permanent than that, right? And so the idea that something dead comes to life uh, is a rather unusual metaphor, but we do get it from the Bible because several times in Scripture, God comes onto the scene. There was one time where he took his, um, his prophet Ezekiel and he took him out to this this valley, and it was covered by all these dried out, bleached out bones. And he said, he said uh, Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, um, can these bones live again? And uh, the obvious answer was no, because they're dead. But there's more to that story when you read it, because the reality is, is that we have a God that can make life from where there was only death. He can make something where there was nothing. He can make good where there was only evil and chaos and destruction. Amen? Another, another example of that was in Jesus' life. He, uh, he was going to see his sick friend Lazarus, but by the time he, he kind of tarried and he said he did it on purpose because by the time he got there, Lazarus was dead. And Lazarus' sister Mary comes up and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, because this is usually how we approach God, right? If you had been here, you could have healed him. I can... I can conceptualize healing somebody who's sick because they're still alive. But she said, he's dead now. But if you know that story, it goes on too because Jesus was actually the embodiment. The, he was God, this God of life who makes life out of nothing. He was that God in human form living among us. That's the amazing part of the story of who Jesus was. Well, today in our passage, it comes from a similar type of a place. It comes from a similar place where the people of God, God is telling his people through his, um, through his prophet that there is going to be a time 
very soon in the future that they're going to lose everything that they know, that they are going to have everything that they imagine that, they, that makes up their life is going to be taken away. So they're going to lose their land. They're going to, the kingdom's going to crumble. Their, their cities are going to be burned and, and torn down. They're going to be hauled off into a different place, into captivity. They're going to lose their freedom. They're going to lose even the temple, that, that place that God had said, this is where I'm going to establish my home, my presence forever, uh, was going to be torn down and uh, they weren't going to see it. And Isaiah said that uh, what this could be compared to is like they had, if you thought of the, this, this kingdom that had been God's people that had lasted for about a thousand years, it was like this giant tree that stood, stood, and it stood prominent among the other trees that were out there. The other kingdoms that were out there was this tr- prominent tree that stood up and it said it essentially was going to be cut down so that all that was left was a stump. And when you look at a stump of a tree, the tree's no longer there. It's dead. It's gone. That's the end. But that's where we pick up this message in Isaiah 11, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And I want us to stand up, if we could. I want you to, to think about being in that place where you're looking at this thing that is dead and gone. You think it's, it's all over. And these are the words that God speaks because this is the God who can make life where there is none. This is God who brings something out of nothing. He makes good out of loss and destruction. These words are not just for his people thousands of years ago. These words are for us. As Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. It says, a shoot, a new shoot will spring up from that stump of Jesse's house. Now, Jesse was David, the king's father. It was this, this is the lineage of the king. It will, shoot, it will spring up from that, that stump. And from his roots, a new branch will again not only exist, but bear fruit. Will do good in the land. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel, the strength, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Just when we think something is dead and gone, many times God comes alongside and he says, no, because I'm not done yet. Have you guys ever had God do that in your life? <laughs> right? Aren't those encouraging words when he comes alongside and you think everything's gone and he says, nope, I'm not done yet. Because if God's not done, who knows what could happen, right? Today's message is titled, could it be, could it be a hint of something new? Amen? Father, this morning we want to hear your word. We want to hear uh, your voice as it speaks to us. We don't need the voices of so many people speaking from outside who tell us about what's in front of us. We see what's in front of us. There are many times we're in our lives and we're seeing the devastation and the loss that's right in front of us. Father, we need to hear your voice. We are waiting to hear you say, nope, I'm not done yet. In fact, there's more to come. And not only is there more to come, but what's coming is, is so much better than what you could have ever imagined so much better than anything you could have imagined when you had what you thought was so valued, so important, so strong, so lasting. There's more to come. So Father, I pray that we would hear your voice. We would open our our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our hands to hear and to receive from your spirit this morning as he speaks your word to us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. You guys have a seat. How many of you guys have ever lost something that has been meaningful to you? Okay? Don't need to see hands. I'm just assuming that most of you have, but right? Lost something that's meaningful. And that could have been anything. It could have been you were working, do you remember this? You're working on a paper on your computer and all of a sudden it goes blip and it's gone. Right? Remember that one? No, that was meaningful. It could have been something that's far more sentimental. It could have been a piece of jewelry that you know, a family member gave to you as a, as a gift and all of a sudden it's lost. It's gone. You can't find it anywhere. It could have been a piece of clothing. It could have been a sum of money that you can afford to lose. It could have been a pet. How many of you have lost something that is significant, meaningful to you? Do you remember that, that feeling that you had, that, that when you realized it was lost? Just that, that empty, that, that frantic feeling that you felt when you realized that this love thing was lost. It, it, you, it was as if it was dead, right? It was dead and gone. And you may have even gone through like those five, you know, the five stages of grief where you're, you're in denial and then you're angry and then you bargain with God. If you just give it back, I promise I'll be good. You know, I mean, you go through that and then you go into depression and then you finally reach that point where you go into acceptance. And, and you can go through this with some things. You can go pretty quickly. You can go ripping through those things. And you get to, I mean, it may have only been a day that you lost that thing. But for that day, you were in misery because it felt like that thing was dead and gone. Now, there are other things that you've lost for much longer. And you come to that point of acceptance. And it's just like, well, this is how it is, right? Gone. When I was in high school, I got my first um, job. It was at a local mall. It was my first real job. And that meant I got my first real paycheck. And what that meant was that I could afford to buy the jacket that I saw in the store next to us, right? And so I saw this jacket, and I'm like, that looks a lot cooler than the winter jacket I currently wear. So I would really like, and it fits within kind of the parameters of my paycheck, so I would like that jacket. Now, I didn't want to go rushing kind of blindly and foolishly into that, so I did pray. I said, dear Lord, if you don't want me to have that jacket... Have them sell the five that are on the rack before I get my paycheck. And that will be my sign that I'm not supposed to have that jacket. <laughs> Very faith-filled prayer. Um, well, that didn't happen, so I bought the jacket, and I got the jacket. Well, um, getting a new jacket, and you guys know this, I mean, just because you get a new job and you get new responsibilities doesn't mean that you become more responsible, Right? And so, uh, true to form, I took my new jacket. I was very proud of this, and I was wearing it. My friends were commenting on how cool it looked compared to my old jacket. And, um, and I wear it to this concert that me and some friends went to. Now, this was springtime, and it's that time of year that you can go into a place where you need the jacket, but by the time you leave, it's warm enough you don't actually need it at all, right? And that's where we were at. And so, true to form, I left my jacket at this concert. And this was only like two weeks into having this thing, and so I was devastated. I mean, that was like, for all kinds of reasons, that was the most valuable thing I had. It was like my proof that I had a job and that I could do this thing on my own. And so I left that in there. And for all kinds of reasons, it was just this devastating kind of a loss. And so I remember, I remember um, calling the venue. I remember calling them and saying, you know, can you let me, they let me in? I can't find it anywhere. I remember having that prayer with God. Have you guys had this prayer with God where you say, dear Lord, right? Why in the world would you have let me buy the jacket if you only intended to let me lose the jacket two weeks later, right? It would have been better had you just told me, had those five sell out, and then I wouldn't have had the jacket. So kind of shift the blame a little bit. Um, well, finally, I went through, you know, five, five stages of grief later, you know, in probably two days. Um, 
No, it was a lot longer than that. I, I, I finally wrestled through and I accepted the fact that I wasn't gonna have that jacket ever again. But it was this place where, again, here's, it's this place where you think you have this thing and all of a sudden this thing is gone and you're just looking at this blank space and you're going, that meant so much to me. Now, compared to some of the things that you guys have gone through or might be going through, you might say, well, why did you bring up a story about a stupid jacket, right? Because <laughs> um, that doesn't seem very meaningful at all. Actually, that was one of the first times that I learned this lesson that I've learned multiple times since. But at a time as a high school uh, student and getting my first job in that season of life, that was a big deal. You guys remember those days? That was the big deal. I've had bigger deals since, but that was the first time that I learned this lesson. And I learned about what God wanted me to know about my relationship with him, my relationship to stuff in this world, right? The things that we think we have that really are a lot more fragile than we think that they are. And what it means to trust God in the midst of even losing Something like that. So this is a lesson that, uh, for me, stuck with me the rest of my life. It's a lesson that the Israelites were learning in a much bigger scale, a much more intense way in Isaiah 11. Because they weren't about to lose a jacket, one of many that they had. They were about to lose everything they knew, right? They were about to lose their, their homes. They were about to lose many of their family members. They were about to lose... This temple, they had had this land in this temple over, right at, I mean, right at about a thousand years, this had been a part of their lives, the tabernacle, the temple, God in their presence, uh, the promised land that he had got them to. He had carried them out of Egypt through, through an ocean and through the desert and through, through famines and plagues and floods and, he, and, and through warfare, he had brought them to this land and then he had brought them into this land and given it to them as their inheritance. He said, this is, this is the promise I have for you. Then he had built this, ta- this temple and he said, out of all the places I could live, I could dwell, I could show up in this world, I'm gonna show up here in this place. They were about to lose that. They were about to lose their, their livelihoods. Their, uh, they, they were about to lose um, their freedoms, their, their space. Now, a, a lot of us think, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, that's kind of hard to relate to, right? Because that kind of thing doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. But I want you guys to think about the fact that right now, right now, at this moment, there are people that, just two months ago, probably, thought their life was all in place living in Ukraine, right? And it turned like that. And if we think that we're in any different situation just because we have a bigger tree, it can turn like that. That's how quick it takes for us to realize how easily a kingdom is cut down, a tree is cut down for it to become a stump. And Israel was in the middle of that. And if kingdoms can be taken out that way, imagine our lives. Imagine the fragile things that we hold on to, that we try and use as stability and the anchor for all that we are and all that we value and all that we, we have and, and we build our lives on these things. How quickly these things can turn. God's people pictured their their kingdom as this massive tree. 
And there were these many smaller trees. There were birds in the branches. There were, there were um, animals of the forest that would, would take shade on shelter under this tree. There were many that found refuge in this kingdom. And it was a good thing. It was a blessing to many. It was like the, this, David had written a psalm in Psalm 1. And he said, blessed is the, the, the man or the woman, but it could easily be also transferred to the kingdom who takes seriously God's word and God's ways because they will be like a tree that's planted by this, these streams of water and the roots will go deep and it will grow strong. It will give fruit. It will bless those around it with the fruit in its season and nothing about it will show any signs of withering or decay. So that's what it'd be like. That's what they had seen their kingdom as was this huge tree. And now it had become a stump. It had been cut down. It was dead and gone. And once they had gone through those five stages of anger and bargaining, they, they came to the point that they accepted this tree was gone. Isn't it interesting how often God's word comes to us at the place of our greatest weakness rather than that place of our greatest strength, Right? Isn't it interesting how God meets us at that place of devastation? In fact, he tells us, he tells us if we will look for him there, he is close to the brokenhearted. If we will look through the tears and we will look through the, the anger and the, the depression and we'll look through just the disorientation of that loss, he says if we'll look through that and we'll look for him, he is there. And he has a word to speak to us. He meets us there because he knows that in that place that we're open to hearing him. He knows that in that place we're open to him doing the best that he can do because we're at the end of the best that we can do. Right? And so it's in that place of devastation. A lot of us see that place of devastation, that place of loss. We see it as a place of judgment or a place of curse. But God says, you need to quit seeing it that way. This can be a place of great blessing in spite of the fact there is loss and there is tragedy and there is grief, sure. But this is also a place where we can see and we can hear God sometimes more clearly than we can when things are all going our way, when things are so great and in place and when we're so strong. When I have enough, <laughs> I don't need God, Right? When my tree is strong and growing, I'm not sure I need God's protection and his help. When everything is on the ground, that's when I need God. You know, there are some times that we pray for God when we're in our place of strength and we, we pray, God, this is what I want to do. Come and bless it, right? We're talking a lot about prayers we pray, aren't we? But have you guys ever prayed that one? God, this is what I want to do, so get behind it. The type of prayer that says, God, I don't even know how I'm going to do anything anymore. That doesn't come from a place of strength, does it? That comes from that place where everything is taken away. That prayer of dependence that says, God, I don't have anything. I've reached the end of everything I have. My best ideas have reached a dead end. My strength has run out. The, the, the whole the, the framework that I set up to protect and buffer my life and keep things nice 
is gone. Prayer dependence comes from that place of, of loss, that place where things are gone. And God's people were at that place with him in Isaiah 11. And that's where God, he then speaks this impossible promise to them, this impossible promise. God's promises, if we, if we hear them right, his promises are usually impossible promises. We say, I have no idea how that can ever even happen. But God speaks that kind of promise to his people. And he says, you know that, that stump, you know that dead, that dead and gone kingdom? Look closely because there's going to be a shoot that springs up out of it. The thing that you thought was over, there's going to be this, this new shoot. In fact, uh, you know that dream that you thought that's now plowed under, is six feet under because it's, it's all, it, there's no hope for it anymore? And, and there are times that God comes along and he says, yeah, but there's, there's a better dream that's, that's coming. Out of, out of that plot of ground where you bury that thing is coming something even greater. And part of the reason it's greater is because it will come from me. It's not coming from your strength. It's going to come from my strength. You guys, some of us here, we need to hear that promise. That's where we're at, right? We're at that place where we look ahead and we, we look out in front of us and that place that there used to be this strong tree in front of us. There used to be this, this dream, this hope, this life, this career, this relationship. This, there's this strength that was there and it's been chopped down, it's gone. And we're looking at that. We need to hear those words, don't we? You guys... The Spirit of God is always ready to speak those words to us. If, we will, if we'll listen, if we'll put ourselves in that place and fully just enter that place and say, so God, what next? God says, he always, when he shows up, he always shows up at that place of devastation. And he says, but I'm not done yet. There's more. Always. It may not be what we want to do. It may not be resurrecting our dream. He says, no, there's going to be something better. There's going to be the shoot. It's going to come up out of this stump. The stump was the best that you could do. But there's a shoot that's coming. And listen to the way that he describes it. He says, and this stump, <laughs> this stump is going to be, this branch is going to be, it, the spirit of God's going to be on him. Not just the spirit of humankind, not just the abilities of human, but the spirit of God, spirit of, and, and listen to how he describes it. And I want you, as you're listening to this, I want you to think, is that something I'm looking for right now? right? Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Knowing what to do at the right time. The right thing to do at the right time. That's wisdom. Anybody need that right now? Right? How about the spirit of understanding? When you look out over the world, it's recognizing the signs and the landmarks and seeing from what they are so that you know what direction to go. That's, just, that's understanding. Anybody need understanding right now? Do you guys ever look out at the landscape of what's out in front of you and go, I don't even recognize that anymore, right? Spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, knowing how to make good plans, and the next one goes with it, and strength, the ability to carry out those plans. Anybody need that? How many of you would like to have the spirit of God's counsel, right, rather than just the spirit of your own counsel? So God comes up with some pretty crazy plans sometimes, but they always come with the, the power, the strength to actually pull them off. And they always end up in a better place than the plans that we had, don't they? So that's the spirit that will be upon this, this shoot, this branch. 
spirit of knowledge, having the insight, the information, and it comes with this intimacy with that information and that insight so that it doesn't appear that it came from outside of you, but it just infuses everything that you are. That's knowledge. That's the knowledge the Bible takes over. Would you like to just know, just know that you know what you need to know? And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, recognizing what it is or who it is that is worth following, is worth worshiping, is worth obeying, is worth giving your life up for. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. He says, this is the spirit that will be upon this shoot. It will be, that will encapsulate, that will frame, that will, will um, characterize this new growth that's coming up out of this old, dead, and gone kingdom. Guys, how, how many of you would like that? You know, a, a lot of times we think we have to go to God and we have to go to him in, in our strength. We have to get our act together before we go back to church, right? We have to get our act together before we pray to him. We have, to, we have to enough to go that we can start bargaining with him as opposed to just saying, I'm out of any good ideas, right? We try to go in our strength. But God says he meets us in, his, in our weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, Paul the apostle is the one who wrote a good chunk of the second half of our Bibles, right? I mean, he was used by God in incredibly powerful ways. But Paul is talking to God about this weakness, this place of weakness that he, he found. And he said, God, he said, what are you going to do? And God said, you know what? I'm not going to fix it. And you know why? Because you need to always remember, my power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your power. We go out and we try and get more influence and more strength and more status and more you know, relevance to people in order that God might use us better. And he says, my power is not shown through that. My power is when I take you and all your brokenness and all your mess and I redeem you and I transform you and I change you and I use you to change the world. How many of us need that kind of power, that kind of, how many of us need the spirit, the spirit of God to just take over? Well, how do we do that? Well, one of the things is we need to realize is that this shoot that was springing up out of that stump, right? It couldn't have done that if the tree was still there, right? God can't, do his new work in us if we keep the old work going on. God can't fill hands that are so full of other stuff and hanging on that there's nowhere to put his gift, his treasure, his blessing. God can't fill a life that already considers it full. Again, if if I have a full life, I don't need God. I don't need a spirit. If my life is going, Jesus said, you know what? It's not, the, it's not the healthy that need the physician. It's the sick that seek the doctor. It's the empty. I was on a mission trip one time, and we were going through the, the Beatitudes and, uh, as, as part of kind of our study together. And, and one of those, it says, blessed are the poor. It's the first one. Blessed are the poor because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And on this mission trip, working in the place that we were, I realized 
why that was so absolutely true. It's because the poor don't have anything else going on. The poor don't have their own kingdom that they're maintaining. The poor are like, okay, so I either get this kingdom or I keep the nothing that I have? Sure. Blessed are the poor. They come with their, their hands open and their hearts emptied and just say, sure, I'll take whatever you got. And ends up what God has is his kingdom that he offers to us. So one of the things that we need to do is we need to look and we need to say, where am I? Am I, am I a person that I look and I, I, I don't see a stump, I, I see a tree. I have this life that's just solid. I, I, I count on it. It's a beautiful thing. It gives help to everyone. It's, it's a mighty thing. Now, in fact, that, that, that tree has nothing to do with God. I'm not talking about a tree that God grows up from this, you know, this new shoot and it grows this. Yeah, God transforms it. But this is a tree that we made. We built, we, we built this empire. We're looking at it and we say, I, I have this. If that's us, I, w- I want you to know something. You don't have to have the good in your life ripped out of your hand. That's not how it has to happen, right? Israel had it ripped out of their hands and then they, it was cut down in front of them and they saw that stump. You can come to God on your own and in your own heart, cut down that tree in front of him and hand it to him and say, this is yours. You can do that on your own. That's, that's in, the bill, in the Bible, that's called coming before God humbly. Where we come in and we say, you know what? I'm not God. And so anything that I've built is not of God on my own. So I'm gonna hand you over this. And instead, I'm going to empty out my heart of all of its affections, all of its loyalties. I'm going to empty out all my hands of all of my works and all my accomplishments. And I'm going to stand before you and just say, Lord, fill me up with what you have for me instead of what I've built for myself. If you're standing there and you have a tree in front of you. Now, I want to warn you. Jesus said, it is easier (laughs) for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a solid rich, established, powerful person to enter the kingdom of heaven because that's what it takes. He had people actually walk away from him and say, no, I don't, I don't want to. He invited them to follow him. He said, no, I can't do that. I have too much. It's hard, but you can do this. In that place of repentance, that place of humility where you just say, God, all this is yours. Amen? Now, some of you guys, you're standing there and it's been cut down for you. And you're in that place of loss. You're in that place of devastation. And you're looking at it and you're saying, God, God, what do I do here? What you need to know is this, again, this is not a place of curse or judgment. This is a place of the presence of God. Because this is the place that he says, okay, start looking because there's a shoot is going to spring up from that stump, from that dead ground, from that place of loss, from that place of emptiness. There is a shoot that's going to grow up. It's going to be by my hand. And so it's going to have the power of God that backs it up. It's going to be the power of God that supports it and sustains it and grows it. It's going to be the very spirit of God that rests on it, not just your own effort. Be listening for the impossible promise that God makes to you. Whatever group you're in, three things I think that we need to think about. One is this. 
We need to look in our lives and find what are those places that we trust ourselves more than we trust God? What are those places that we have built something for ourselves and by our own strength and our own ingenuity, our own just brilliance, we've built these things on our own because we need to hand those over to him. They need to be chopped down if we're going to ever see God's work in our lives. Now, some of us think we, that is God's work. That is not God's work. That's not the best. The second thing we need to do is as we're looking at those, we need to realize that when God asks us to give him something that we think looks so mighty, so massive, so beautiful to us, when he asks us to give that up, this is where faith comes in because we have to believe that he has something better in mind. The shoot that was coming was better than any kingdom that had been built in Israel. And they needed to realize that and they needed to walk forward in what they couldn't see, not just what they could see in front of them, faith. The third thing is this, is as we move forward, don't expect God to replace a tree immediately with a tree, right? That's not how it works. He said there's gonna be a shoot. We need to be looking for the small movement of God. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts out as the smallest, grows to be the greatest in the garden, but it starts out as the smallest of seeds. Kingdom of heaven is like, like yeast that you put into bread and you put just a little bit in a whole lump of dough, but it ends up saturating the whole lump of dough. Kingdom of heaven starts in the small places of our lives with the small movements of God, that small voice that we hear whispering to our heart, that we, those nudges that we feel him. And we think, you know, I think that might be God. I think I need to follow that impulse rather than this other one that I'm so used to. Starts with the small things. But make no mistake, those small things are going to grow into into that tree that far exceeds, far exceeds our expectation, far exceeds our imaginations. You know, Ephesians says that our God is the God who does beyond anything we can think or even imagine. You know, several weeks after I had um, lost that winter coat, <laughs> back to my story, um, I got a call. And uh, this was after I'd gone through all the five stages. I'd come to accept the fact that I didn't get that coat anymore. And uh, I got this call, and uh, they said, hey, we found your coat. Some janitor had picked it up, and he had stuffed it into some office back in the back of the building, and nobody had seen it. And so this is like months later. We got your coat. And so I go down there, and sure enough, here's this coat. Still pristine condition the way that I had left it. It was only two weeks old. Got this coat back. Here's the thing, though. By the time I got the coat back, it had already died to me. So when God gave that coat back in this resurrected form, <laughs> now it didn't tell me how great I was. In fact, it kind of told me what a klutz I was, right? Now it didn't tell me about what I could accomplish if I just set my mind to it and I worked hard enough and I earned enough money. You know what it told me now? It told me that I had a God who loved me a lot to even care about something as stupid as a winter coat. And every time I put that on, the message that I got was not anymore about me. It was about this God who loved me. The greatest thing that happens when we give up what we thought we had is that what we receive is this new thing. And it comes with a message that we could not have embedded 
and the thing we had before, this message about how much God loves us, about how much he is willing to give up for us. It has everything about our God embedded in it. When we give up things, we assume they're dead, except that we have the God of life who's still telling the story. So sometimes he comes alongside and he says, you know what? Not done yet. Amen? Can we believe that? Again, the title of this message, could it be? Could it be? That God loves us enough that the story isn't over. 